Welcome to the Mindful Medicina Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeanette Daniels. I'm a naturopathic medical doctor on a mission to inspire a renewed confidence in the intelligence of the human body. And joining the conversation today is my friend and colleague, Janelle Hartman, lymphatic and colon hydrotherapist, esteemed yoga teacher of teachers, and the co-producer of this show. Welcome to the episode of Into the Sun, my favorite topic in the whole world. I'm Dr. Jeanette Daniels, and I'm joined by my co-host, Janelle Hartman. We are here today to aim at increasing your solar competency and banishing some silly sun phobias. Learn how the sun heals us from the inside out, and grab some practical tips for skincare on both cellular and surface levels. Today we're going to talk about probably my favorite bestie in the whole world, the sun, and the medicinal value of it, despite centralized medicine's narrative that you need to get the hell out of it. And you need to cover up and run for the hills. (laughs) Run from the sun. (laughs) I want to start this off with a quote from the Journal of Internal Medicine in 2016. Avoidance of sun exposure is a risk factor of a similar magnitude of smoking in terms of life expectancy. (laughs) So let that sink in, especially for people who wear sunglasses and sunscreens because the damage that is caused by blocking the sun's UV light is extraordinary. And we're going to go into a little bit of neurobiology, which is a little little bit complicated, so I've decided that I would, um, you know, I think just keep it as simple as possible. And if I feel we need to add a second episode to go into a deeper dive into it, I'm happy to do that. I actually have my undergrad is in psychology with an emphasis on neuropsychology, so I was pretty obsessed about the brain. And um, at first in this episode, I was going to just talk about the different UV light rays and then go into a conversation around vitamin D and all the forms of vitamin D because I think that most people think that vitamin D is vitamin D is vitamin D. So, um, and that was the game plan until I came across a podcast episode, um, Huberman's show. He had interviewed a doctor, uh, a neurosurgeon by the name of Dr. Jack Cruz, who is a non-centralized doctor, is how he would describe himself, meaning that he asks questions and questions authority. And 
his obsession with the brain and the chemistry is really important because it gives him the credibility to understand sunlight as it relates to the biological mechanisms, the biochemistry of the brain, and as, the, as, as a way to understand UV light and how it affects all of that um, neuroendocrine and neuroimmune function of the light waves. So now um, the conversation gets a little bit more complicated because I've decided to explain to the best of my ability what Dr. Jack Cruz was talking about. Um, You know I love the sun when I skip salsa dancing to study (laughs) to to study this. There it is. So last night, instead of salsa dancing in the sun, I was studying the sun. And um, what I discovered and learned was profound. The sun is sacred because we are light beings. And without it, we don't exist. It's likened to water and air. And imagine trying to block someone from drinking water or inhaling, taking a deep breath in. It's the same. It's the same catastrophe. (laughs) So this is a conversation close to my heart. Um, I often joke and call myself a sun worshiper. Um, because (laughs) if there's a window open or, you know, the sun is peeking out over here, I'm going to be over there drinking it in and in between patients. Everyone knows that my third office is outside (laughs) in a chair in the parking lot, (laughs) facing the sun with my eyes closed and taking in the UV light. I joke that if I was a DJ, my name would be Vitamin DJ. (laughs) (laughs) I might change my name to Vitamin DJ. But this is how much I love the sun. And a lot of people ask me, do I wear sunscreen? Um, Because I'm constantly in the sun. And um, I'm pretty dark. I know it's rooted in the Italian Greek blood, Uh, that I have so much (laughs) melanin deposition. But um, I just, I've never worn sunscreen and I've never worn a pair of sunglasses. And it was intuitive. Um, I think sunglasses work great as a headband. (laughs) (laughs) So I own a pair of like Dollar Tree sunglasses, like kids section, because I'm so small, but I use them in the car for (laughs) keeping my hair back when the window's down. (laughs) So I think it's important to note that the different wavelengths are all needed and that sunglasses will block out certain wavelengths that are critical to get the the sun as a whole. And we'll go into that later. 
But I just wanted to, be, you know, give a big shout out to my bestie, the sun. <laughs> and um, and then rock and roll with uh, with the conversation that I hope you all can hang in there with me as you know I also just learned of it myself this weekend. So, 125 years ago, Tesla created the electric grid, and we've been in artificial light since. This increase of blue light has hijacked our wellness, simply put. There is natural blue light from the sun, but there's blue light that is synthetic from our screens, our computers, and our cell phones. And the amount of time that we spend on them add to that just the electromagnetic chaos from the electricity, and we're no longer in our circadian rhythm. So with that said, I want to go one step back. A photon, which is a measurement of energy that comes from the sun. And the amount of time a photon is inside of the core of the sun can be up to a million years. (laughs) And what you have in the center of the sun, the core, is a bunch of hydrogen atoms that are banging into each other like a mosh pit. (laughs) The hydrogen cores are banging into each other until they create, they they come together and create a a helium atom. And um, this is the energy, the photon. So after being in the mosh pit for you know, anywhere between a thousand and a million years, this photon finally reaches the surface of the sun. And it takes about eight minutes to get here from the surface. And so one photon that touches your retina or your skin was about a million year travel to you, that we just go, eh, put my sunscreen on, don't touch me. (laughs) Imagine the amount of energy something like that holds to take that long. It's like a rite of passage. It's like it's got to serve its time at the core, right, in the sun in order to be able to reach the surface. It's maturing its energy, And then in a split second, eight minutes technically, it's on you, it's in you. And so I don't think most people realize how much energy is coming at you when you are sun gazing and how special it is that, I don't know, maybe it's an egoic place to come from, but I feel like it's created for us. And um, it's working hard for us. And it will then work hard in us as medicine. So going into the different kinds of UV light. And 
UV light is a measurement of lux. This is the amount of energy that the waves have. Okay, so there are different wavelengths, UVB, UVA, UVC, and we're going to go through those. So first and foremost, it's important to understand that the skin is a neuroendocrine organ. And so it's not just, you know, a... It's not just an organ that blocks bacteria and all of the other nonsense that uh, we're putting, you know, hand sanitizer on for. <laughs> uh, it's it's actually working for us from the perspective of the hormonal, the endocrine system, the immunological system, and the opioid system for pain. So if you want to block all of that, put your sunscreen on. So let's go to, let's talk about UVB because that's what sunscreen typically is focused on blocking. And I didn't think I was going to talk about sunscreen so much in the front end, but here we go. So UVB is a short wave. And it's what is converted into vitamin D3. This is what makes D3. It activates the HPA axis, which is the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis through the skin and the eyes. So you do need to take this in through your skin and your eyes. Irritation of the eyes by this uh, wavelength will stimulate the systemic alpha melanocyte stimulating hormone, the adrenal corticotropin hormone, and the beta endorphin uh, system, and um, and then downstream help with suppressing um, immune function where you don't want it too high, which is autoimmune, and increasing it where you do want it. So. Speaking of autoimmune conditions, the closer you get to the equator, the fewer the autoimmune cases there are. So let that one sink in. I know we talk about leaky gut at work as being a factor in autoimmune conditions. That is true. And the other thing that is also connected to... um, Autoimmune conditions is the emotional mental, where we see women are more um, linked to having autoimmune conditions. I mean, I think that we might beat ourselves up more than men do. (laughs) And I would say the, the pharmaceutical drugs that take the microbiome, the tight junctions apart, be it heavy metal or antibiotics. Um, And then also just the food, which is sprayed with Roundup Ready, Monsanto's Roundup Ready, your glyphosates. So it's multifactorial regarding autoimmune development, but probably the most important piece is not getting the sun rays to the skin, which we will go into greater detail about and why all of that matters. 
UVA. UVA are the long waves. They make up 95% of the UV light. There is a receptor called neuropsin, which is a light receptor detector in the cornea and the skin. And it's specifically looking for UV light. So this light or this receptor is mediating our light-dependent induction of the circadian clock genes and circadian rhythms. So if you do not get the UVA, then you are not helping yourself with regard to your circadian rhythm, which we'll also go into later. The UVA are very long relative to the UVB. UVA are going to penetrate your car windows and your office windows, okay? So you're actually only getting a part of the sun when you're standing in front of glass. So what I have done for a long time is, (laughs) unless it's a blizzard, (laughs) I'm going to open my windows in my car because the sun seems to always be on the left side (laughs) onto the driver's side. (laughs) I roll the window down so I can get every wavelength because they all Mm -hmm. work synergistically. Mm -hmm. The UVA is what's known to cause the immediate sunburn where the UVB is going to be a delayed tanning slash sunburn depending on your uh, skin complexion. So we have UVB which is going to make the vitamin D. And we have the UVA, which is contending with the circadian rhythm. Both, of course, are going to help make your skin glossy red or glossy tan, depending on who you are, if you're in it too long. So let's move on to the shortest wavelength, UVC. This is not only created by the sun, but also within, within us endogenously. So before humans came along, our primates lived underground in the cold, dark abyss. <laughs> and how did they survive complete and total darkness? Well, Every single cell in the body turns out to be a semiconductor. We make energy. We make light. We make UVC. And so for a very, very long time, this is while the dinosaurs are here, these primates had to hide underground until, I don't know what happened, insert what happened. They are able to come up above ground and they are able to start shunting the um, to shunting to a UVA and UVB light source. But I just wanted to note that we make UVC, and I think that's damn cool that I can actually make light. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the electrolytes that we drink are so critical. So they're used for um, semiconduction. And um, you've got mitochondria, 
as a semiconductor, you've got hemoglobin, which is surrounded by a nitrogen cave. And so nitric oxide is critical for all of our cells and in relation to light and how it works with light. So you can see from my very short description of these three things how powerful they are in our body. So I want to break down the UV light schedule because you'll definitely hear people talk about get up with the sunrise and, you know, catch some rays and how, you know, <laughs> it's, it's really important to, to get up with the sun and, and, and see that sunrise. So the important thing to note about sunrise and sunset is that there's no UV light yet. It's all blue light and infrared light. And the magic behind that about getting outside and getting your skin, you know, immersed in this blue light and infrared light is that it helps prep your body for the UV light during the day. So you're less likely to burn if you are catching the blue light and the infrared light in the morning. You want to wake up with the sun. Tell that to a person who's a night owl like myself. <laughs> it's going to be my, my mission to change my sleep cycle after reading about this and uh, so that I can actually get into better alignment with the circadian rhythm of the sun because it reverses disease. Yeah. So, upon waking, sunrise, blue and infrared light, one hour later, you're getting your UVA, which makes up 95% of the UV light. And it communicates with the pituitary gland and the pineal gland, which is amazing because that cascade, <laughs> it causes an internal pharmacy to occur in your body. You're making opioids and hormones, immune modulators, you don't need to go to a pharmacist to be well. It's already in you. It's, it's already there. If we're willing to modify our <laughs> if we're willing to way get a little. <laughs> Maybe go with the flow rather than against it. <laughs> yes. So isn't that amazing in... in Food isn't even coming into this picture yet. That's second to light as far as nutrition and function of the entire human system. So one hour after the sun rises, get outside. If you can't get out of bed for the sun, if you can't get out of bed for sunrise, get out an hour later and get yourself some UVA. Go pick up your prescriptions on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> Snap. <laughs> 
And then by noon, which I like that time, you've got UVB popping out and making a, an appearance, and that makes up 5% of the UV light. This is the vitamin D that we're talking about. Look at that. We haven't even talked about vitamin D. There is so much more going on with the sun than just vitamin D. I think you can tell by now. So speaking about vitamin D, let's go into the different forms. I want to quote Dr. Jack Cruz, the neurosurgeon, because I just thought it was so groovy. He says that vitamin D is made to create a Faraday cage on the outside of our body to protect subatomic particles in the mitochondria. (laughs) Drop. (laughs) It's all purposeful, and Mother Nature does not make mistakes. The skin cannot rely on internal vitamin D that, that is circulating in the blood it actually has to make it on its own at the surface level. And that vitamin D is actually protecting your mitochondria. And it's not going to have as beneficial effect to just take an oral supplement. You have to get it from the source if you want the full benefit. I think that people always want to know, well, where can I get vitamin D, yada, yada. So first I wanted to start off with D2. Because people will always say, well, isn't my, doesn't my milk have vitamin D in it? <laughs> uh, really, just to narrow it down, what you get from food is called D2, which is a precursor. It's not really active. That's found in salmon and eggs. If you get it in your milk, it's fortified, and it, they had to put it in. It doesn't naturally occur in there. But from there, you get the, from the skin, you get D3, the, the vitamin we make and, and what we would take um, from maybe a supplement store. The half life of vitamin D is 24 hours, necessitating the need to take or make it daily. So, you know, if you're not getting out into the sun daily, you will need to supplement with it. So, vitamin D is synthesized in the skin from 7-dehydrocholesterol. It's called cholecalciferol. So this is what you'll find, um, like I said, in a health food store or a clinic. The majority of it does go to the liver for conversion to 25-hydroxy vitamin D. And then some of it will go directly into the cells for conversion and use For example, in the breast tissue, the colon, the prostate, and in the brain to fight local infection and inflammation. It's extremely important for endothelial stability. So the endothelial tissue is absolutely in need of vitamin D um, from the sun's rays. I was going to go into a conversation about the microbiome in the gut, but I'll wait on that. I get excited and want to jump forward. Okay, so we know that uh, cholecalciferol, vitamin D, what we know of what we buy in the store, 
is critical for organs um, in regard to endothelial stability, infection, inflammation, um, which, you know, um, if somebody's not feeling well, of course, the first thing you do is you grab a vitamin D supplement. Um, I'd rather see them get into the sun, um, but you, you don't always have that option in, um, in a place that doesn't get or boast a whole lot of sunlight. Honestly, one of my prescriptions would be for most people to, you know, live part time in a place that has a lot of sunshine. Um, you know, if you can have two homes, right? A girl can dream. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So we've got D three produced in the skin, which decreases DNA damage in the skin cells and facilitates DNA repair directly upon any UV damage and prevents cell death. So, I mean, if you're worried about DNA damage and ruining your skin, just understand that there's a built-in system to protect you from that. The sun does not cause skin cancer. It does the opposite. It has a, It's directly repairing DNA damage, and preventing cell death. Okay, so now what we do is we head deeper into the system. We're moving from the skin into the liver, where the conversion of the cholecalciferol converts to 25-hydroxy, which is used for, it's a signaling molecule basically in, in most of the cells. It's going to act on immune function, heart health, brain integrity and health, the blood vessels, the lungs. It's what is tested when you get your blood drawn with your doctor. We're testing 25-hydroxy to put a label on how healthy you are, right? Um, anything Below 30, I think it's in nanograms per mil. I could be wrong. Anything below 30 is considered not sustainable for life. <laughs> and I definitely have patients in Washington State who are well below 30. And when it gets that low, you really need to move forward with prescribing 25-hydroxy for immune function uh, and not going for the cholecalciferol uh, on the shelves because the conversion time would take too long if somebody was really sick or really low on vitamin D. You might want to just go and find a 25-hydroxy vitamin D version. Again, that's coming from the liver. There are a lot of hormones that come from the liver. The conversion of many hormones happens in the liver, so love your liver and treat it right. Um, I know that's not a part of this conversation today, but what, when you start understanding hormones and the immune function, you start to go, oh my God, how can I love my liver better? Okay. All right, so let's take a little journey to the kidneys where you end up with a product called 125-dihydroxy vitamin D. This is the one that is known as hormone D. So I honestly would almost venture to say that every version of vitamin D is actually 
hormone. And so I think it's a misnomer to call vitamin D vitamin D. We really need to go at it from the perspective that it's a hormone. And so supplementing with it, you know, should be carefully prescribed and understood. So 125-dihydroxy is regulated by the parathyroid hormone for blood calcium control. It's often low in chronic renal disease and high in uh, sarcoidosis. So I want to throw in here a little shout out to a VDR receptor uh, with defect. So this is important because some people, now that we have the ability to look at methylation defects, there's actually, vitamin D is so important, it actually has, (laughs) there's a vitamin D receptor, so they call it a VDR receptor, I think, like I said, that Mother Nature is perfect. So I want to preface this conversation on VDR receptor um, by saying that it's perfect the way it is and it was an evolutionary reaction to something. But when someone has a VDR receptor defect, a methylation defect on a VDR, then what ends up happening is you don't get this conversion downstream in the Uh, kidneys to 125-dihydroxy. What does that look like when you can't do that? So there are two alleles. If you have one allele that is not working properly, then you have a heterozygous defect. If both alleles on the chromosome are not working, then you have a homozygous defect. And that's more problematic than just one. But bear in mind that the body had to do that at some point within your family line to control calcium somewhere, okay? So when you have a VDR receptor defect, it can show up as kidney stones, rickets, which this is an inhibitor hereditary rickets, not from not getting, you know, your supplements from D, etc. There's also uh, the risk of alopecia and um, MS. <laughs> and we'll talk about why the sun is so critical for preventing multiple sclerosis. And it also downregulates um it's downregulated in atherosclerosis. So you'll start to see calcium deposition in the arteries because this pathway is contending with calcium in the body and where you want calcium is in the bones, in the teeth, not in the blood vessels, right? So you start to see atherosclerosis with some of these vitamin D receptor um, methylation defects. So that's no bueno. So... What I want to plug in here is the value of vitamin K2 as it relates to transporting calcium. Another thing that could cause an increased risk of calcified arteries would be a deficiency of K2. There's K2, 4, K2, 7. They both break down um, in different times, but they're both very valuable One just stays in the system longer than the other. And what K2 is doing is taking the calcium and putting it into the bones, or I'm sorry, what K2 is doing is putting the calcium into the bones and the teeth. So you really need to make sure that when you're supplementing vitamin D, 
that you're also getting a supplement that has K2 in it. Otherwise, you're taking in all this, all the vitamin D, which is going to increase calcium absorption. And then, but hey, where's it going? I don't want all this calcium coming into my body and just going wherever it wants. I want it to go into the bones and the teeth. Okay, so any questions that you might have on that, Janelle, or any thoughts? I just want to go back to you. You mentioned allele. Is that a part of the chromosome? Yes. Okay. Every was, chromosome has two alleles. Okay. Right. So, um, for example, the in my case, I guess um, I'll just disclose that I have a VDR receptor defect, a homozygous defect, which is really interesting when I go back to my ancestors, particularly on the Greek side. There's very early premature atherosclerosis and hardening of the arteries. I mean, I have a great aunt who passed away at 27 from arteries that they said were as clogged as an 80-year-old. So so this all makes a difference, but again, you know, you know, if you have one allele that is not properly functioning, I typically will tell my patients it's okay. This was an evolutionary uh, shift that needed to happen. But when you get into homozygous and both are not functioning, there needs to be some supplementation happening, right? So let's go into melanin, actually, since we're talking about uh, vitamin D. Okay, so melanin, which is what everybody knows as your skin gets darker, your eyes are brown, your hair is brown, you know. Um, It's not just to produce pigment. It's a battery bank, okay? So this is, again, that semiconductor stuff. Like, this stuff has energy in it. Okay, so I'll give you an example. One, one, okay, let's back up. So melanin, I have to say this first, so melanin is a, a bank of energy. And within it is mitochondria. And the mitochondria in it is so powerful, has so much electricity, that one mitochondria will generate 30 million volts of electricity. That's insane. <sighs> wow. <laughs> so if you think that energy medicine is not going to touch you or do anything for you, just understand that Just one of your mitochondria cells generates 30 million volts of electricity. Wow. We're electric beings. Now, the ATP, the energy that it takes to make, um, that the mitochondria are making, okay, the mitochondria are making ATP. So that is phosphorus, adenosine triphosphate. Okay, so if we got the phosphorus, this is fluorescent, by the way. So um, <laughs> you know how when somebody gets a really nice tan, they look like they're vibrant, mm-hmm. buzzing. They they look vital. You know, I mean, they're literally fluorescing. It's it's amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's the the phosphorus there in the ATP doing that. So let's talk about skin tones. So 
there's, and we learned this in medical school, Fitzpatrick skin types. I don't know who Fitzpatrick was, but it's probably a guy. <laughs> I wonder if he's friends with Bristol. <laughs> the Bristol stool chart. Of, of Bristol stool chart fame. I know, right? <laughs> Forever. Like, what is your poop look On the like? record. So um, you've got, well, let's see, six different skin types. So this is speaking to how many melanocytes that you have. We have our very white pasty people, and I say it with love. Very ivory, that's the ivory category. And then you have beige, and then you have light brown, medium, dark brown, and very dark brown. So I would venture to say I'm probably medium, which is like a four, right? Four out of six. (laughs) I'm sort of right in the middle, so what that means is that for obvious reasons, or for obvious um, um, reasons, well, maybe it's not obvious to everybody, but because I have darker skin, I actually require more sunlight because the melanin is actually blocking and protecting some of the rays. That means that I don't make vitamin D as well in a town like Seattle. Um, as an ivory or a beige person would make. So I need more sunlight to penetrate um, the tissue layers and into the organs to create uh, active vitamin D. So, of course, you know, people who have very fair skin can't tolerate as much UV light because they don't have the, the melanocyte. Mm-hmm. Uh, quantity that that someone like myself would have. So it's probably safest to say 20 minutes of sunlight, 30 minutes of sunlight before you hit that UVB range um, is, e- is easy and um, probably not going to be too damaging in, in the perspective of burning. I think that's what, you know, I really want to bring home here is that I don't want anyone to burn themselves. That's that's just common sense. But you do need the sunlight. And so making sure to pay attention to your skin tone um, is important for how long you're in the sun and what time of day. Obviously at sunrise, there's no UVB, no UV light at all. Okay. Can I share mm-hmm. that as, you know, German and Swiss with a touch of Russian, I'm probably a two <laughs> naturally um, on that spectrum. And uh, uh, and I find that my number seems to be about 20 minutes. And I, I go a little bit more in the, the morning or kind of a little later in the evening, but I try to get at least five or 10 minutes, even just going outside, letting it hit my face in that 10 to two period where you get the full, you know, all everything, all the wavelengths are coming. Um, but I just have a little eye on the timer, like maybe some of the darker on the scale don't have to keep such an eye on the timer, but I, you know, I get my son and that seems to be a real sweet spot for me personally. Mm. Yeah. Well, thanks for uh, mentioning that because we have different skin types. And mm-hmm. if you were to ask me, I'd say um, my timer is okay. Um, 
When's the dinner bell ringing? I'll go back in for that. But otherwise, I'm staying there. Um, <laughs> it's like a part time part time job. I'm probably there four hours. But don't don't try that at at home. Oh, and I will say this: it's twenty minutes on the front, twenty minutes on the back oh. because I like myself a sun nap. You know, Super usually nice. No, and you want to make sure that you hit as much surface area as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I find very fascinating is that the sun, you want the sun to hit your belly because it's going to have a direct positive impact on the microbiome. Uh, Yeah. Because it's giving you all of that electricity, which is going to instruct the bacteria and make them happy. And is there anything happier than having sun on your belly anyway? I mean, instinctually, like you said before, instinctually, we go for it. We dive in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I pull my shirt up. I'll tell him. Uh, and yeah, I, I would say the sun probably hits my arms, my face, and my belly the most. I, I got to work on getting the back in there though. Okay. I just want to go out in the sun. I know, okay. I'm like, I'm getting sun hungry. <laughs> Ooh, I can't wait to talk about hunger too, um, as it relates to the sun, which we're getting close to. Uh, I think everyone will find that very interesting. All right, let's move away from uh, melanin and get into the circadian rhythm. Okay, so now we talk about the other M, melatonin. So the circadian rhythm is a 24-hour cycle of wake sleep. Um, It is completely dependent upon UV light and food consumption for creating a schedule. So you have, let's just say, let me start here. Where, what control, what part of the brain controls the circadian rhythm? The suprachiasmatic nucleus in the hypothalamus. It seems most things are controlled by the hypothalamus uh, when it comes to hormones. Um, It seems to be king or queen. <laughs> so within the, the eye, we have the neuropsin, which mediates local light-dependent induction of the circadian clock genes and circadian via the UV light I mentioned earlier. So again, the UV light timing um, of exposure through your skin and your eyes is critical, and the food intake are going to train this cycle. So I think it's important to know that your liver, for example, your organs, they also have a circadian rhythm. So if you travel and you go, I don't know, cross the seas to a different time zone, and you try to eat on on their schedule, Let's say their dinners would be 10 p.m. Your, you know, it's, it's 10 p.m. your time. You're really not going to have great digestion or assimilation of nutrients because your liver doesn't care that you're in a different time zone. You're probably best to just do an intermittent fast <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, and not eat because you will uh, disrupt the organ system with regard to the food intake. So. How the heck are we waking up in the morning? I know that a lot of my patients will say when they they wake in the morning, they're tired still, even though they slept eight hours. Okay, so 
What is stimulating us to wake up? Morning blue light. Okay. The morning blue light increases cortisol to wake you up as it hits the pituitary gland. So what you should have is a spike in cortisol. That's what's waking you up. But the cortisol is dependent upon blue light. I love blackout curtains. That's what you want if you want to go to sleep because you can't have a whole lot of light without disrupting the circadian rhythm at night. But you might want to have like maybe a little crack in that um, curtain because you need the blue light to, to creep in to stimulate that secretion of cortisol. Are you saying in this case crack saves? <laughs> <laughs> of course it does. <laughs> And so we're going to basically set the circadian rhythm by starting the day off with that secretion of cortisol. And blue light goes down at sundown. Ideally, you are turning all of the electricity off. The, you know, I had a friend in medical school. This guy was brilliant. He would turn off every single bit of electricity. He would shut the breaker down when it was time to go to bed. So there was, wow. no, I mean, just amazing. <laughs> but you want to get all the, um, the, the computers and the phones off. Um, if you really want to stay in alignment with the circadian rhythm, then that would be at sundown. In the summer, great. It's, it's sunny till nine. You can be on your computer and your cell phone a little longer without hijacking that uh, 24-hour cycle. Some people will have a flip-flop of the cortisol, and these people are stressed out. Um, and what they end up having is a spike in cortisol at night and not a spike in the morning. So they're dragging butt in the morning, and they're like, I don't know, I just feel most awake at night. Well, that's a flip-flop. Mm-hmm. And you, you want to get in there and manage that circadian rhythm and that cortisol um, because... That's going to cause a whole cascade of hormonal problems down the road, including weight gain. So you'll basically see weight will go up if you're out of alignment with the circadian rhythm. Okay. So um, as I mentioned, light is really not great to have at night. You don't want to have a bunch of lights on because it will plummet your your melatonin, which is supposed to help you fall asleep. Okay? So I'll give you an example of the amount of energy or lux that come from lights because everybody wants to know, well, how much light or what kind of light can I have on if I still need to work or find the bathroom? (laughs) 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 So... Without crawling on all fours. Uh, So one hour um, of one hour of 500 lux or energy from a light bulb will shift the melatonin rhythm. So knowing that 500 lux will shift the melatonin rhythm, how much does an overhead light have? It has about 400 lux. So you want to be careful about that because time is important too. But you got in 60 watt bulb, you have 800 lux. And so if you're telling me that 500 lux is going to knock out my, mel- my melatonin, then a 60 watt bulb 
is n- not going to be good. Mm-hmm. You want to stick to the amber mm-hmm. lights for sure. You and I are salt lampaholics. Oh, yeah. Those are beautiful, like a pink, dreamy, creamy light that seems really pretty it's, sweet. It's and amber, right? Yeah, it's amber. Exactly. So it works. And, you know, when you live with people <laughs> who love light, right? It's just like, it's like a, you know, a little light switch dance. I, I, I turn it off, my roommate turns it on. And I'm like, I close my eyes and go, no! You know, because I'm just like, I know. It's like an assault. Now I can't fall asleep. Yeah. It's like that quick for me. Yeah. You know? So. I'm sensitive to it too. And the more you practice keeping that that lux down at night, the more sensitive you will be. You will notice it more. So in any event, yeah, keeping keeping lights off at at night once the um, sun goes down is critical for maintaining that circadian rhythm. Okay, now traveling, right? So it's purported that traveling westward is easier. Okay, so so uh, you know I don't know. Um, I don't travel a whole lot to different time zones, but if you travel east, east, it can really aid you. The timing—it's very hard to go to bed earlier because we're biologically driven to sort of have one eye open in the forest so we're not eaten so we could stay <laughs> awake to make sure everything's you know safe and clear to go to bed so we're just easier to um, stay up later and it's also important to go to bed um, if you can go to bed at the same time wake up at the same time but if you have to choose one or the other it's more important to wake up at the same time because, <laughs> That blue light is stimulating the cortisol to wake you up and start the next 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Let alone the preparation for receiving the other wavelengths. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, all right. With that said, don't travel east. No, or I mean, uh, yeah, don't travel east. <laughs> it's <laughs> <Ever>. out. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so you've got this jet lag conversation that comes up. And, you know, what I've been taught as far as nutraceuticals goes is to give someone 20 milligrams of melatonin to reset that circadian rhythm. And I used to suggest that. But I don't want to do that anymore. I mean, you can get into a conversation. We can get into this another time, but there are other ways to reset your uh, circadian rhythm, and that is finding the lowest temperature in your cycle, which is usually 90 minutes to two hours before you wake up, and play with that and get the sun in, you know, you know, at around that time to reset. But, but taking melatonin is not going to be my favorite thing, and I'll talk about that later as to why. Here's another thing that people don't think about um, as far as jet lag goes, is that you don't get jet lag just traveling different time zones. You also get jet lag from your computer screen and your cell phone. So you don't even have to leave your couch to have jet lag. Doesn't that suck? (laughs) What do you think about blue blocking glasses? It does help a little bit, for Mm -hmm. sure. You know, um, anything helps. And um, if if you have to watch, um, you know, a really cool flick or work at night, that would be the bare minimum. Mm -hmm. So here's why I don't like to take melatonin for sleep. 
melatonin blocks testosterone and estradiol production. Huh. Yeah. So um, we can have a whole conversation or podcast on melatonin itself, but just knowing that downstream, you will get a decrease in testosterone and, um, and estrogen. And the opposite is serotonin, which is definitely elevated in the day when you have sunlight. So now you're getting an increase of testosterone and estrogen. And so you, you go forward into summer and you have a lot more sunlight. Now you have a lot of time to make estrogen and testosterone. And it's no wonder that people are a lot more flirty in the summer, have a higher sex drive. That serotonin <laughs> is, is definitely helping to make, you know, the estrogen and the testosterone. So after about 12 hours of the serotonin production, the serotonin will convert to melatonin. So if you have been in the sun a lot that day, don't you always sleep better? Mm -hmm. Because you have all of that melatonin conversion from the sun. (laughs) You go to the beach and you're like, why am I tired of shit? I'm going to knock out after I go to the beach, right? It's all that conversion. (laughs) So if you really want to have an increase in melatonin at night, go into the sun. Mm You will sleep really well, okay? Okay, now we got to get a little bit more serious because we're going to start talking about body weight and energy production. So this might be a mouthful. There's going to be a few things that are a mouthful. (laughs) So bear with me. Sunlight modulates the leptin melanocortin pathway. The leptin melanocortin pathway plays an essential role in the body weight of a person and the energy that someone has. So in the hypothalamus, what ends up happening is that you will have, if this program or this pathway is in sync and doing what it should be doing, you actually will have decreased appetite and and increased in energy expenditure. And the entire system is being stimulated by leptin, which is secreted by the adipocytes. It's basically just right under the skin, deep to the skin. And so when this system is working properly, then you're able to maintain body weight without increasing and in, in becoming obese, right? So the UV light you'll see ends up being critical in just a minute for this. It's pretty crazy because I'm kind of insinuating if you could get some more sunshine, you might lose some weight, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this leptin, which by the way, leptin is a hormone that says, I'm full, Mm-hmm. Okay, so breaking the word apart, leptin, melanin, melano, and then cortin. So we're talking about cortisol, adrenal hormones, right? Okay, so 
this entire thing is responsible for energy production and keeping weight off. It cannot work without melanin. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that someone who is fair-skinned is going to be more likely to be overweight. It's all relative. So now we move into this melanin that is driving, the leptin and the melanin are driving this pathway. It's called POMC, POMC, is, is an acronym for proprio, let's try this again, pro-opimelanocortin pathway. Okay, and this, this is the driving force, the key driver for the leptin-melanocortin pathway. Let's break it down. Okay, what is the importance of this Palm C. UV light will stimulate the Palm C. Palm C is produced in the anterior pituitary gland and it's a precursor. Here's the magic it's the precursor for melanocyte stimulating hormone. It is making melanin. Okay? Hmm. It's dependent on UV light. It also will make ACTH, adrenocorticotropin hormone, and beta endorphins. The beta endorphin part is fascinating because if UV light is stimulating the production of this POM pathway, POMC pathway, and you're getting an endorphin hit off of that, Nature has made it so that we are actually addicted to the sun. <laughs> and if you are not, you're not getting enough of it. You have a defect in Palm C. Huh. If you don't go out in the sun enough, that is going to downregulate your Palm C pathway, which is supposed to make the melanin which is then going to cooperate with leptin to trigger and stimulate the leptin melanocortin pathway, which again is helping to keep the weight down and energy up. Do you ever notice when you go in the sun, you just have so much more energy and like, I mean, outside of like getting ready to go to bed because you have all that conversion, right, to, you know, melatonin, Sunlight. People wake the f up. Oh yeah, in the it's summer. almost instant. Like for me, when it hits me, like in the morning, I'm just. It's amazing. Better than a cup of coffee. Better than anything. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. It's like my eyes are turned on. <laughs> literally. <laughs> yeah, we're Come literally on. we're literally electrically turned on. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. So, okay, now this alpha melanocyte stimulating hormone that is coming from palm C is, is making the melanin. And melanin is everywhere. Um, the melanin is going to stimulate the nuclei in the hypothalamus, namely the ventromedial, the lateral, and the paraventricular nuclei 
to decrease. So you're asking, how the hell does this happen? Well, it's stimulating these nuclei in the hypothalamus to decrease appetite and get that energy up. So it's, hello, melanin is keeping my appetite down? Yes, this is why people in the summertime don't have an appetite the way that we do in the winter. Yep. So you want to know a weight loss program? Mm -hmm. Sunshine. Which is crazy, amazing, just amazing. Sorry, I'm always in awe of the sun. Every time I learn something new about it, because it's already my bestie. (laughs) I'm like, I didn't think you could get better. (laughs) Okay, so um, the beta endorphin that I mentioned, that POMSI will basically cleave and become it, it, it breaks down into components. And in this case, the beta endorphin, like I said, is sort of saying, hey, I'm, I want it. I need you to be addicted to the sun. This is how important it is to your survival as a species. But, but also add to that, it's going to help manage pain in the body. If you have pain, go late, go sunbathe. This is why senior citizens go to Arizona and Florida (laughs) and their joints don't hurt anymore. Mm -hmm. The sun is an anodyne, okay? It decreases pain in the body, okay? (laughs) Okay, so, um, oh, and here's something very important to note as well. So when I mentioned the ACTH, adrenocorticotropin hormone, That is helping to regulate the adrenal development and the weight of it. So (laughs) it's it's the adrenals are very affected by UV light and melanin. So yeah, if 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 your adrenals are really large, then that's excess energy leaving the adrenals, right? Think about this. Mm-hmm. Anytime there's an injury to the body, like a sprained ankle, um, cardiomyopathy, you, you will have the organ or the tissue enlarge. Something that is, in, that is damaged enlarges. And that's, that's a part of like it giving more energy out. Mm-hmm. Okay? So it's less efficient. So... There are cases where there are POMC gene mutations. And when someone has a POMC um, gene mutation, you end up having increased risk of severe obesity, congenital ACTH deficiency, and funny enough, red hair pigmentation. Huh. That's a POMC defect. And we know they can't be in the sun, right? Right, Too right. Much. That's right. They have a really hella hard time making melanin because the palm C defect. The palm C is making the melanin. Okay, so so here's something that is going to make people sort of drop their jaw when I say this. Okay, so without UV light, and if someone is leptin resistant you end up having um, an increase of sugar and insulin in the system causing you to be overweight. 
okay, hold on to that. If you are more exposed to blue light from your phone and your computer, you have, instead of UV light, you have a ton of blue light exposure, which does the same thing. Blue light will increase your sugar production and your insulin production. Basically, you don't need to eat to have an increase in weight. You just need exposure to blue light for extended periods. If you want to gain weight, this is the carb diet, right? Like eliminate the carb carbohydrate. You know how everyone's talking about that. Get rid of the carbs. Yeah. A better way to do that is to get rid of the blue light Mm -hmm. because it's doing the same thing as carbs do. (laughs) Which one are you more addicted to? (laughs) Which one are you willing to get rid of? <laughs> yeah, the so, carbs might be easier for some people than the addiction oh yeah. to their well, especially stuff. if you you work online or you're addicted to gaming, mm-hmm. you're going to start seeing people who work online, virtual, and people who game like that's like a major addiction these days. How many hours are especially men love gaming? They're going to all start gaining weight because of the blue light, is going to affect the corticotropin-like intermediate peptide, um, which goes all into the cortisol and, and the leptin resistance. Um, and when you are wondering, do I have a leptin resistance issue? Are you overweight? Are you overweight? And if you are, you probably are leptin resistant. And there are ways to, to help that, of course, outside of sunshine, but that's the number one medicine there. But then what you find in thyroid issues is a condition called reverse T3 dominance. So leptin-resistant people will typically have elevated reverse T3 levels, which is an inactive form of thyroid, which is basically a storage thyroid. It's saying, hey, uh, we're going to have to survive this, this cold famine over the winter, so let's slow metabolism down so that we don't die in the cave. So you get the reverse T3 dominance in people who are leptin resistant. So it's a really great way to check if someone's leptin resistant. Go and look and see what the reverse T3 is. Okay, let's briefly go into autoimmune conditions. As I mentioned earlier, Um, As you get closer to the equator, there is a decreased rate of autoimmune conditions such as MS. Um, According to the Blue Cross Blue Shield um, organization in 2019, Syracuse, New York had the highest rate of multiple sclerosis, which is like an hour from my house. (laughs) I'm from Buffalo, right? Buffalo, New York. And um, you... You can start to see that when you look at these statistics, the cities and the states that don't have a whole lot of sunlight have, like I said, the increased rate of autoimmune conditions. Um, Parkinson's, Parkinson's is, you know, a matter of melanin as well. So you've got inside the substantia nigra in the brain that has an autopsy, when you go, when you autopsy it, and I know this because I've had so much cadaver 
in massage school as a medical student, and then I was a teacher assistant for it. So I have tons of exposure and experience on cadavers, which is fun for some reason. <laughs> but you get in there in the substantia nigra, which is the defect, the problem in Parkinson's. And inside that substantia nigra is a bunch of black dirt. That thick, dark, black dirt is melanin. <laughs> and it's a deficiency. So melanin is everywhere. It's darker in the brain than it is on our skin and our eyes and our hair. But you're starting to connect the dots like that melanin needs to be everywhere for health. Okay? So we could just move forward now with, after, after I give you a fun little fun fact about goosebumps. Like, what the heck are goosebumps? Then we're going to go into treatments and care, okay? So goosebumps, I don't know. Does it mean there's a spirit in the room? (laughs) Does it mean that I'm on track? Okay. Here's what's physiologically happening in goosebumps. Melanin in our hair and skin are working together to transfer and conduct energy that creates a static charge, okay? So you're literally, your hair is standing on end, on end because you're creating a static charge. Just in that, you know we're electrical beings because your hair can stand on end, okay? So here's what happens when you put sunblock on, which is great because this is going to segue us into medicine that actually is important for how to you know treat the skin, Sunscreen literally blocks out our ability to maintain or draw a charge. Ah. Yikes. So. Blocking the sun. Not a good idea. Oh, wait a second. That's the take home. I mean, what? But using their language, it's. Solar radiation management. That's like, (laughs) that's how they put lipstick on that pig. (laughs) (laughs) We hope this conversation has empowered you. Remember, you are unique and you are a miracle. Your body doesn't make mistakes. It responds perfectly to an imperfect environment. Until next time, go get that life.